The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it's time for the green scene. Today, how mammals that live in groups live longer. But first, we're running out of space to put our rubbish in. We're joined by Dr. Ruth Freeman, Director of Science for Society at Science Foundation Ireland. Ruth, good morning. Good morning, Pat. So, um, I thought we were burning a lot of it. We were closing down landfills. Yep. So, what's gone wrong? I know, and I suppose I was thinking, it's that time of year, aren't we? We're all looking at the clutter around the house going, let's just get rid of some of this stuff. And really, we need to think about where it's going. And you're right, we do burn some of it. We put some of it in landfill and thankfully we do recycle some of it. So those are kind of the three main routes for our rubbish. Um, But the amount is just growing and growing and we're simply not keeping up with it. So our recycling rates, while, you know, they they, they can't keep pace with the amount of waste that we're producing and that means we are exporting more. So we're we're exporting about 40% of our kind of household waste to be finished off somewhere else, whether that's uh, put into landfill or recycled or incinerated. Um, but we're just um, we're running out of space. We we have two what we call we, we call incinerators. I, I always laugh. I remember going to Copenhagen years mm. ago, and I was been driven from the airport, and the the taxi driver proudly pointed to 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 their waste to waste energy, to energy yeah. plant. Yes, and they have one even in Scandinavia with a with a ski slope, an artificial ski slope on it, and a park around it. They're very proud of how these plants power their district yeah. heating. Now uh, they would still be creating CO two in the combustion. They absolutely do, and 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 look, there, there's no purpose perfect way to, to dispose of waste really until we get to a purely circular economy. So, so we have improved that technology. We can extract a lot of the heavy metals. We can, we can uh, you know, we can extract sulphur dioxide using special chemicals in the flues. So, so we can do all of those things. But at the end of the day, we're still burning something into ash. Yeah. Um, and, and if we're trying to, to move towards more recycling in the circular economy, it's actually unsustainable. Well, you're always looking at um, ways to minimise. In other words, if you can do something like, for example, if by putting everything into landfill, you're generating methane, which comes out through those uh, vents, and that is worse as a greenhouse gas than CO2 is, are you better off burning the stuff produces CO2 than letting it lie and producing methane? I don't know. Well, and I think the an- there's no simple answer, as in so many things, because also, you know, yes, what we are definitely better at is having fewer, better managed facilities. So whether we're going to have, you know, additional waste to energy plants, which, which again, communities don't tend to want beside them, you know, despite these improvements in technology, or, or as you say, we've had a whole decade of trends of closing landfill and maybe now we're going to need another one. Um, there used to be a garden fate near us on the, you know, I hope they bring it back. The pandemic kind of put paid to it, mm. but at the idea that you'd have a, a bric-a-brac stall and people would bring the stuff that they no longer used and it found a ready market. But then some people just bought rubbish and yeah. then it was up to the local church to to get rid of the rubbish Absolutely. at the end. And I think school fates and those kind of places, everyone's having the same issue. There's just too much stuff and nobody wants to deal with it. So, look, we need to move towards that circular economy. But until we do, I think it's just to think about where the stuff is going. So, so what are we going to do? I mean, you're right. We just have to think about less and kind of conscious consumerism, you know. Do we really want something? I think, you know, the Owen McGee, who's the finance expert, he always says, wait 72 hours. If you want to buy something, just give yourself a few days and then maybe you won't want it so much. So, mm. so, so we can certainly think about that if we're, if we're addicted to shopping. Yeah. Now, um, we got rid of the plastic bag effectively in supermarkets. Plastic is still used for wrapping certain foods for hygiene reasons. Um, and there's a whole debate about when you put a cucumber inside a plastic wrapping, it keeps it for longer 
and therefore there's less food waste. There's all sorts of arguments. And those permanent shopping bags that you buy, people have loads of those at home. And it actually amounts maybe to more than the plastic in the casual plastic bag you might have bought for 12 cents. It's right. You're right. And I mean, this is another issue. Yeah, we've all accumulated, I think, under the stairs. There's whole piles of these bags for life. We probably have more than one coffee cup for life in the cupboard as well. So, you know, absolutely. Look, all of these things can become trends and a bandwagon and we jump on it. But with all things environmental and sustainability, it is that balance. Have we thought about these things? There's rarely a quick fix. You know, a, a bag for life's not a quick fix. A coffee cup's not a quick fix. But really just being more thoughtful, I think, is what we all need to do if we want to play our part there. I mean, one thing, a good news story is composting's going well in Ireland. We're, we're increasing our composting, so that's something we should keep up. And food waste is one of the biggest parts of yeah. our municipal waste. And that's waste. definitely locally recycled. I mean, you, you your brown bin, yeah. is, it, that's dealt with locally. It's not going off to some third country as I suspect some of our plastics might be. They, they are. I mean, some of it does go to the north, I think, even our food waste. But, yeah. you know, we, we are doing better on that. So, yeah. so it's and, something and to keep up. Cardboard, which is eminently recyclable, aluminium, mm. permanently, eternally recyclable. Yeah. We're, we're doing a bit better. Now, mammals who live in groups, and we live in groups by and large, uh, live longer. Explain. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of this week was Valentine's week. It was all about pairs. But I thought we would talk about the the benefit of being in a group. And and this was work. It was a team that was working on a little creature called a naked mole rat, which kind of is exactly, looks exactly like what it says. It's about a foot long little little rodent creature. But they live up to 30 years of age. And this is fascinating because most little rodent species kind of only live a few years, you know, something like a hamster. Uh, So this group of researchers in China and Australia decided to look at a thousand different mammals and they divided them into uh, those that live in a solitary way, those that live in pairs and those that live in groups. And correcting for body size and some other things that we know about longevity, they were able to find out that living in a group has a significant impact on how long these creatures live. Um, what's the theory then that, that explains this away? I mean, is it a bit like the flock of birds? They flock together so that they appear to the predator like a massive bird, even though each of them is tiny. Exactly. It seems to be a, a mixture of different collective effects. So actually, scientists did think, you know, there could be competition for mates, you know, so while some might do better in a group and therefore the genetic diversity of the group broadly does better, that maybe not for individuals. But it turns out that actually looking for food together, seeing off predators together, all of those things add to these creatures living longer. Um, And in fact, when we come to looking at maybe those more animals like us, uh, there's an amazing book actually called A Primate's Memoir by a guy called Robert Sapolsky. He lived with baboons in the savannah for 21 years. So he looked at all of the ways the group worked together and they were able to look at stress behaviour. And what they could see is that those females, uh, particularly that experienced less stress in the social dynamics of the group lived longer. Uh, And and of course, that's something we see in humans as well. Yeah. Uh, The comparisons uh, between humankind and um, apes are are very interesting. But the idea that um, the female baboon, they get together as gal pals. They do. And they thrive in that situation. Where does that leave the fellas? Is it man's lot always to be uh, basically a solo traveller and... The women, if you like, create the society in which all of this happens. I think when we look at our closest relatives, that's a strong theme, Pat. But we do see in dolphins, for example, the the males do, you know, act as groups. They help each other go out and, and get mates. You know, they will support each other. But certainly in terms of 
uh, apes, us, um, uh, you know, dolphins. It does seem mm. like the girls stick together. I suppose the lads, they'll go to the nightclub together and <laughs> you know, egg each other on. <laughs> anyway, not in the baboon world. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Ruth Freeman, Director of Science for Society at Science Foundation Ireland. We'll have news next. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.